1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely. You are joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spirling. Shotgun who's covered in Braves decor, if you will. Congrats, Shoddy. Damn right. Is game You're...
2: seven tonight, or did th- that already happen? Are we done?
1: <laughs> How does it feel to have a successful baseball team? Just uh, asking for a friend.
3: It's, it's very strange uh, to actually be able to finish it off and win the World Series. 26 years in the making. Uh, I can
2: feel the glow coming <laughs> off of him.
3: Yeah, right next to I him know. That.
2: It's... it's... Stunning. He's so radiating. used
3: as an Atlanta sports fan to everything just collapsing. So it was very, very weird uh, when they won in game Six. It's like, wait a second. This, what, how am I supposed to feel now?
2: It was Do you funny. know
1: how to be happy? Is that a thing I for
2: know, Atlanta sports weird. fans? <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean,
3: kind of like USC fans right yeah, now.
2: Big, big Braves fan. He's at practice this week talking to Craig Nivar, the, who's, you know, Big Houston Astros fan. Both of them were like, no, my team's going to lose. No, your team's team's (laughs) going to lose. They were like arguing which team was going to lose. That was funny. Yeah, that
1: was funny. (laughs) Uh, But we're back and we have a lot to talk about. We took Sunday off because it was Halloween. I hope you guys had a great Halloween. We have to preview USC's game on Saturday against ASU. Two teams that aren't doing the best right now. They're not trending in the right direction, I would say. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a london list offense. USC lost Drake London for the season with a fractured ankle. So what does this offense look like without him? Do you lean more on the run game? We'll get into that. And we'll talk about Clay Helton. Maybe you guys remember that name. Not something that you guys said over and over again that he needs to be fired. Well, he got hired this week, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about USC's future. Can the team go bowling this season? We'll talk about that you can tweet at us hashtag tunnelvision and I'll put your tweet up on the screen and wherever you're watching Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope slash Twitter live, uh, put your comments, questions, concerns, and we'll do our best to answer them as well as Hit we the can. like
2: button on other Hit things. Hit the like likes. button, subscribe, like all those that likes. good stuff. I don't know what yeah, they help. Do. Do they help, they help the or the something. Likes. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Sure, and if you uh, put your question up. We'll put your question up on the screen. We love hearing from you guys, so thanks for doing that. But guys, like I said, USC is heading to Tempe. USC-Arizona is always interesting. I feel like there's always something weird that happens in the game. Ryan, I call you the Pac-12 guru. Mm. What are you expecting on Saturday, and what are you expecting from this ASU team?
2: Yeah, this Arizona State team. I mean, you have two teams right now that are essentially circling the drain, right? Like USC, they bounced back a little bit against Arizona, but allowing a team that hadn't scored more than 19 all year to score 34, at home explosive plays fake punts like it wasn't like usc was buttoned down you know they, they scored six points after halftime after drake london goes down but you beat arizona you gave them from a 19 game losing streak to 20 uh, that's nice so you did that so at least you got to win but the two games before that not so good asu they couldn't have a bigger turnaround like you looked at this asu team you're like man the Sun Devils are going to win the pac-12 south just three weeks ago halftime at the utah game dominating they haven't lost in the pac-12 yet They're up 21-7 going into halftime, and they collapsed. They just fell apart, didn't score another point. Over the next two games, 56 to nothing, they were outscored. The first three possessions of the Washington State game, they turned the ball over, then turnover on downs, then missed field goal, then another turnover. Like It's been an absolute implosion. They were from on top of the world to way on the outside looking in. Utah pretty much has a stranglehold on the division right now. It's a huge fall from grace. And we've talked about this from the very beginning because of the NCAA scandal stuff. I forget what Herm Edwards called it. He didn't call it a scandal. He called it a review or something. Or <laughs> uh, he didn't call it like sanctions. He didn't call or... it
3: an investigation. It was a, it a review. It was a
2: review. Yeah. Uh, you know, they had to suspend three coaches from the beginning of the season, but it was pretty quiet since then. It's a super senior-laden team. You got maybe the best quarterback in the conference, Jaden Daniels. They got great running backs and good wide receivers. A lot of seniors coming back and uh, experienced defensive players. People thought this was a team that was going to make a run and win the South. And they look poised to do that. I was just waiting for the very beginning. I think we talked about the preview show at the beginning of the year. When is that other shoe going to drop? I don't know if it has. But, man, ASU has definitely fallen off a cliff. And they just fired their sideline reporter, a former Arizona State safety, who made some comments about this team not being well-coached on a podcast. And they fired the guy. And I think, as John Wilder just tweeted, like that says more about ASU than it does about uh, your sideline reporter, who's a you know, bleeds Sun Devil football, former player. Yeah, he was. He played football at at, at ASU. So p- the people are like, "Oh, USC is in trouble." Like, sure, USC is in trouble, but ASU is in trouble too. What these are? It's like two teams in trouble are going to collide. I don't know who's going to come out on top. And
3: the crazy thing is, before the season, you look at this game on the schedule and you go, "That might be the determining game in the Pac-12 South." And you know. Maybe Utah can do something. We'll see how their transfers do. Maybe UCLA kind of puts it together finally. But you looked at that and you said those are probably the two most complete teams. Yeah, Those are the two teams you feel like you know the most about coming into this season. And that's been far from the truth because this Arizona State team is not playing well recently. And I feel like it's just been an accumulation. When you have that dark cloud hanging over you, when one thing goes bad that's that second half of that Utah game, How do you bounce back from it? Well, if you've had this, you know, lingering black cloud over you the entire time and, you know, it's raining on you throughout the season, you know, it's just a sprinkle, it's just a mist and you're like, okay, is the sun ever going to come out and you... You just get worn down by it over and over. You know, you go from being a little little per, uh, precipitation on you to suddenly you're drenched because it's, it's been constant. And I think that's, it, it seems like that's been the case for Arizona State. Now, they've also lost some some big players. Jermaine Loyal, their big time defensive lineman, losing him has been a huge issue for them. And that's similar to USC. You know, some big time injuries uh, have, you know, kind of. Um, multiplied some of the issues that they're having. And I think that's going to be the case for USC going forward on their offense because Drake London was doing so much for that offense. Not just the catches, not just the catches and, you know, everything that he's doing there as far as moving the ball himself.
1: This is a decoy.
3: But just creating so, so much more for, you know, space because you have to double team him. You can't play up tight on him. Now I think teams are going to try to probably come up and press USC. Are they going to be able to get behind anyone? They haven't consistently done that with any other receivers. And, you know, It's going to be a much different look. I think USC... You know the last couple of games, you go, okay, this is what we figure we're going to get. I think now you look at it and you go, we could get a lot of different looks because teams are going to play you completely different than how they were playing you when Drake London was on the field. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Shaka, what are you expecting to see from USC's offense this weekend? I mean, I know on instant you talked about how this is not going to be just one wide receiver stepping up; it's going to have to be a, a collective effort from USC's receiving core.
3: Yeah, I think the receiving core, the the receivers, the tight ends, the the running backs, everyone's going to have to step up a little bit if they want to try to replace Drake London. And I don't know if that's going to happen. You know this this could be like the death knell for this offense. You know they've struggled. They've moved the ball really well, but then they get in the offense. But you watch the film of some of these games. Drake London just creates so much separation on his own. You know it's a slant route. You know you look on the other side and it's, it's multiple slants being run. You look on the other side, the other guys covered. You know white <laughs> on rice over here. You look at Drake London. He's created two yards of separation, and that's just his ability to to be explosive and his day the threat of him going deep, the threat of him just how physical he is, you can't get your hands on him and you know, like you can maybe Taj Washington or Gary Bryant because they're smaller receivers. So who is going to step up and start creating separation? Yeah. Because the job is going to get that much harder for Keaton Slovis and Jackson Dart. Now people go, uh, Keaton Slovis has been locking on Drake London all, all, the whole season. And Jackson Dart even talked about it this week. He's like, well, when you have Drake London over there, you're much more likely sure. to throw it over there. they am going to throw it to him. Yeah, he said, you know, that sometimes there's been other guys open, but you think about it and you go, well, if I throw it at Drake London, he might break a tackle, <laughs> he might break another t- another tackle, another tackle. And it turns it, you know, short gain into something big, uh, much more than some of the other receivers may do. But they've relied on him because one of the big reasons is because he gets open all the time. Yeah. All the time.
2: And when he's not open, he still catches the ball. Exactly. He, you, know, if you make the wrong choice, like, oh, he's not open. Eh, he'll catch it anyway. You
3: throw it up. and you know If you have one-on-one coverage, that's what you look at. And you go, okay, we well, throw it up, and he'll go get it. And then you look at, in this game, they threw a couple deep balls to Gary Bryant. Now, the one over the middle, this is something I've been asking for for a while. Throw that deep post. It stretches the defense. Push those safeties back. But on the outsides, they tried to hit Gary Bryant once, uh, you know, on an outside breaking like a flag route. Jackson Dart couldn't hit him there. Tried to hit Taj Washington a couple times, not catching the ball. Um, you did get a pass interference one of those times, but there's just no consistent threat on the outside on that deep ball. So that's going to be a big issue for them. So there's going to be some pieces. People are going to step up. So what do you do? Well, you turn to Keontae Ingram. This guy has been a monster the last two weeks. He broke uh, I think I think he had seven missed tackles uh, that he forced this last week against Arizona. He had 134 yards. Pretty good game, right? He averaged four point nine yards. That's pretty pretty solid. That's all after contact. Yeah. 134 yards after contact, almost five yards after contact per carry. That's terrific. And so, you know, if you don't get every single block, and that was the case, you know, some of those, some of the, the runs that he had Decent blocks and that's really all he needs. He doesn't need a great block every yeah. single time, like has been the case at times in the past for USC. You give him a decent block and he's gonna, you know, create something big out of it. And if you can just not create a penalty after giving him a decent block, maybe you get a sixty six yard touchdown run, or maybe a forty six yard explosive run, or a thirty yard explosive run. All those were called back. He yeah, had a,
2: uh, 133 yards of.
3: Yeah, Dante Williams at 133 called back, call back um, and, you know, he could have been over 300 yards. Yeah. You know, it was just a mo- monster performance and against a very bad defense. Arizona's right. not even yep. good. Yeah. yeah, They're playing a much better defense this week against Arizona State, just much more talent. And that's even without Jermaine Loyal in, in the middle of that defense. So, um, you know, can they establish the run? Because that's going to make it easier on the quarterbacks, because then they can go play action. It's something they haven't done a ton now with the read option stuff. A lot of that, those quick screens are play action. But if they get the run going, that sucks in those linebackers, creates that space in between the linebackers and safeties. Just a lot of things open up a lot more if the run game starts early. And I thought it was interesting with Drake London still, you know, healthy. They ran the ball for the first time. I don't know if they watched Tunnel Vision last week yeah. or, or what it was. They <laughs> can run the ball. Yeah, that they hadn't run the ball in their very first play uh, this season, and they did. Uh, and they picked up five yards, I think, for for their first play. And, you know, they were able to have a successful opening drive, much different than the Notre Dame game, where yeah. they tried to throw it first, sack, and, you know, everything fell
2: apart.
1: <laughs> now, Shaka, in, in one of the, the sentences you said, you said quarterbacks, plural, which <laughs> brings me to the question – What are you expecting to see on Saturday as far as Keenan Slovis and Jackson Dart? We tried to get more info this week. We didn't really get much, and I don't think we were expecting to. I don't think the quarterbacks themselves really knew. I asked Dart, how much do you expect to get used this weekend? And he said, "Uh, not sure, to be honest with you. We'll have conversations throughout the week about it. Uh, What are you expecting to see on Saturday?
3: Yeah, it, it seems like so long ago that <laughs> right? that game happened and so many things have happened this like week. Like two quarterbacks? I'm like what? You know, and and like I a... think partially it's because we talked to them on Monday. Obviously, the uh, players, uh, USC did not practice on Tuesday. They moved their schedule up because it was election day across the country. So NCAA mandated that you know everyone have that day off, the student-athletes. So we talked to them on Monday, and that feels like a long time ago right now. Um, but, yeah, they didn't know. And I don't think they were. you would expect them to know at that time. Uh, but I don't think that – Maybe today, maybe now the coaches know, maybe they put it out there. But last week it was Friday night. You know, late Friday night when they're in the hotel, they, you know, talk to each of the quarterbacks, say, hey, this is what we're going to do. And Keaton Slovis had some questions about it, you know, and asked Dante Williams, is it something I'm doing wrong? Yeah. Um, you know, and Jackson Dart gets his opportunity. But I didn't like the way they used him. Jackson Dart said, it was asked afterwards, hey, did they tell you not to run? And he was like, uh, kind of, <laughs> is basically what he said. Paraphrasing here, but he's like, they told me to be smart about it and stuff. He didn't run at all. That's the separator for him from Slovis. They're, right. They both can throw the ball and, and be efficient quarterbacks, but what changes when he gets in there and what defense has have to really focus on is the fact that he can take off running. And there was a, a great opportunity. He made a little juke in the pocket, and there was a
0: huge
3: swath of open green grass to run to, but he stood in the pocket and tried to throw a deep ball, and Drake London got, like, fingertips on it. Um, and... They, they can't neuter him that way. They have to use him. If he's not healthy, don't play him. Right. But if he's in there, use him. That's the difference maker. And I think if you do that, then you can do some different things when he's in there. Otherwise, like, you know, we got told dart package, dart package. That yeah, there wasn't was no, no dart package. There was <laughs> no damn dart package. That was dart series, dart, <laughs> yeah. hey, are you going <laughs> to take over this job? Um, and, and this is what I – I know people have said that I love Keaton Slovis, and he. Yeah, why do you love Keaton Slovis? Yeah, I I don't know if it's a Clay Helton love of my life. uh, Yeah, not quite that 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 uh, that deep, I guess. A deep dark love, like Clay Helton once said about a recruit. Um, But you know, the thing I said was Jackson Dart really hadn't earned that starting position. Now with the offense, uh, you know, he had an opportunity to get in there. He did not play as well as Keaton Slovis, even though the pick six—that's a terrible play by Keaton Slovis—got it. But those guys now have to work together. And that was one yes. of the big things on that interception is that uh, Keaton Slova said after the game, he said, you know, if I was in there, he'd been out for a couple drives before halftime. He had the, the two-minute drive before. This was the opening drive of the second half. He said that, that uh, linebacker had been kind of shading a little bit and started dropping a little bit more towards that outside receiver on that double slant concept that they had. And, you know, he said... I wish I would have, you know, kind of seen that a little bit. And he said he talked to Jackson Dart afterwards. Yeah. And Dart's Dart like, said, oh, yeah, he yeah, was doing that. Yeah. yeah. I,
2: Anthony Pandy. The, the, he's really yeah. good. He's ha- one of their good players. They, and they have the a pick couple. six.
3: But that's – those two guys are going to have to – they're going to have to rely on each other. And that's a weird dynamic. Weird dynamic yeah. when you're like, hey, what did you see? What do you see? Because I, if it's me and you, Ryan, i am be like – Oh, yeah, that guy was doing that. And like, no, i no, he was going this way. Right. <laughs> Hoping to make him throw, look back. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want my starting job or I want to take over the starting job. But, you know, team sports makes – it's a whole completely different situation.
2: And it's it is different because we thought we'd see a dart package. This was definitely not. This yeah. was just basically taking turns. And then you have a starting quarterback who's like, I'm like the preseason Pac-12, you know, all like first-team quarterback. And now you're just putting this other guy in. In a seven point game in the fourth quarter, you're putting in the backup quarterback, a true freshman. Uh, you know, there's going to be guys that are like dark guys on the offense. There's going to be guys that are Slovis guys. You could have a divide between the team. Um, certainly, it's not, you know, it could impact the confidence of a Keen Slovis. Uh, It probably boosts the confidence of Jackson Dart. They are putting him in there. And then everyone has to deal with no Drake London. So there's a lot of balls in the air, I think, for this offense right now. The one thing you can probably rely on is I don't think Keen Slovis cares. I mean, Count the Ingram cares who's handing him the ball. He just (laughs) wants to get the ball. So you hand him off ball like 25 times. That's probably going to be something that settles everything down. That'll be like the milk of man, like a little Pepto Bismol for this offense, the upset stomach of this <laughs> offense. You know, it's like just let Keontae Ingram just run the ball, and everything else will sort of take care of itself.
3: Does Keeley? We need a we need an official uh, ruling. Does that count as a food reference for Ryan? There, I it's think consumed? so. It's consumed.
2: I don't know if it's food. It's
1: consumed and deals with food. So yeah, yes. it's like
2: helping with the food. You know? maybe we'll see. A little Pepto, yeah.
1: Yeah. Speaking of USC's offense, Alex wanted to know how good is US or excuse me, ASU's. Run past defense. So what is USC's offense going to see on Saturday?
2: So uh is still out. Like he, oh, he sorry I was out. pronouncing it incorrect. No, that's okay. It would, I mean, yeah, you know, it's spelled different. Um but so he's out. But they they do I think they bring back the most super seniors like in the conference. Merlin Robertson, someone that um, you know, USC recruited or maybe didn't recruit as didn't much recruit he's, been, he's been a stud. You know, Jack Jones, you know him. Uh Chase Lucas is a great quarterback. They have a lot of really good players on defense. I think if you look at some of the the stats. I think Washington probably statistically has the best defense, but a lot of that's because their offense is really awful too. Like ASU is probably the most complete team as far as that goes. ASU's mostly ranked second in the conference. This is a legit defense that can do a bunch of different things, and I think USC is going to have, uh, you know, it's going to be a tall task for USC to come out there and, and score a bunch of points, especially with the mistakes. So this, the problem is both of these teams have made a ton of mistakes. I mean, there's, there's turnovers, there's uh, penalties. I mean, ASU and USC just over 100 yards a game, double-digit flags a game. Uh, but overall, I think this is a really good uh, ASU defense. Just the the date, you know, the way we've seen that through. Now they've given up some some big plays and stretches, not the kind the of same way that USC has with the explosive plays. But it's a, I think it's a legit ASU defense. So it's going to be a real challenge. So, a lot different than what you saw last weekend in the Coliseum against Arizona.
3: Ton of experience. Yeah, one of the most experienced defenses in the Pac-12. Um, and, and the question now is that defensive front with the loss of Lele and, and some of those guys, they've had a couple of injuries on that defensive line. Uh, so USC, can you attack with the run? Because that's where your strength is going to be. Because going against Chase Lucas, going against Jack Jones with wide receivers that haven't proven that they can be the guy it is not going to be the strength of USC in this game. Are they going to scheme open some stuff? That hasn't been their strength either. So no. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you've got to rely on the run game and it comes down to that offensive line playing and Big question mark, no one's really talking about it, but Cortland Ford came out of the second half. The offense wasn't the same. I know Drake London was out, and the offense completely changed after Drake London. Actually, I I had looked at the, the numbers. USC had 12 runs before Drake London came out, and 34 passes. It flipped after Drake London was injured, they had 13 passes and only 29 runs. And that's including a two-minute drive right before the half where you pass the, you know, at least 50% of the time, the majority of the time there. So, you know, completely flipped flip there. And maybe you know, it reminded me a little bit of the Fresno State game when uh, JT Daniels goes down with a knee injury right before halftime. Similar time frame, you know, Drake London was about four minutes to go before the half. But in the second half, they just kind of, you know, cocooned up and said, let's hold on to this We're lead, hold on to this ball, lead yeah. as much as we can you know, take time off the clock. They didn't really push push the issue much. And I think maybe that was the case, you know, because so much of the game plan is based on Drake London, what Drake London does, catching the ball, but also creating space for other people. So maybe they said, let's just run this base stuff. Let's be very simple. Let's run the ball. And they were having success with that, with, with Keontae Ingram. But maybe that was part of it. So maybe they switched the game plan up. It'll be interesting to see what they do this week with so many changes. Whether it's do you implement more of an actual DART package and use him running the ball and, and do use some different things? Um, and, you know, do you, who's going to be featured this week? I think the targets are going to be spread around a little bit more. Sure. Obviously, Taj Washington got a couple more targets this game. I think he was targeted 10 times, which is the most he's had this season. Eight catches, the most he's had this season. Uh, but him, Gary Bryant, Kyle
2: Ford. I think Kyle Ford's going to have a big role. We got I was going to talk- gonna
1: ask you, Ryan. That's your boy. That's my
2: boy. I talked what to. What are you him.
1: expecting from him?
2: Uh, you know, I got to talk to him on Monday after practice. He had a pre- pretty big scrum around him. And uh, I feel like he's confident. You know, it seems like the health is there. There were some issues where he could have got in games and maybe didn't. It just didn't seem like the way he was brought along. But, you know, he was listed at number two at that X receiver spot behind Drake London. There's no more Drake London. They moved him up to the number one spot. He seems like he's ready, uh, mentally ready, physically ready to take on that role. And if Keaton Slovis, Jackson Dart have confidence in him, I think they can throw him the ball. I mean, he's seven catches, 104 yards, and one touchdown. That one, what was it, the... Which game was it? He got one catch for one touchdown. He played two plays. Washington State, well, yeah. yeah, Washington State. Two plays, one, you know, he caught a touchdown. The other one was like a kneel down, right? Um, yeah, so that's. I mean, I think he's someone that has comments. I've seen him. I mean, I, the reason I, I mean, I was watching him at high school at the opening, and it was a weekend seven on seven tournament where you're playing. I don't know seven eight games. And they're, you know, 15 minutes, 20. Well, they're not that long. You don't get that many opportunities. He caught 15 touchdown passes over that weekend. It was the best
3: performance anyone had seen.
2: I've never seen anything like that before. Like, you know he can do this. And he's a bigger guy. Dante Williams talked to this week about he's like a 230-pound guy that runs like he's 205 pounds. I mean, you look at him, there's a thickness to him. You know, like, Drake London has his own athletic ability. He's tall. You know, he can jump and all that stuff, and you look at Kyle Ford, he's definitely built differently, but he's someone that can muscle and push some mm-hmm. people around, so he gets on a roll. I think he could be someone that takes over that. I mean, no one's going to take over Drake London's spot, but he can take a bunch of targets away and sort of, you know, you're going to distribute probably more and more, more people, but if you're confident you can throw it to this physical wide receiver out there, he's going to make the catch maybe bowl over a guy or two and get some extra yards. Instantly, I think Slovis and Dark could be like, yeah, I, I definitely want to throw the ball you know, his way.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could see him blossom. I think he's a guy that we could definitely see blossom. And it'd be great to see after two knee injuries. The question, though, is is can he create separation? Now, maybe he can use you know his size and you know push people out of the way. And if you can get away with that in the Pac-12, which you never know what's going to be. He actually he had a great catch on the sideline, coming back for a ball. That Keaton Slovis gets outside the pocket. Nice throw from Slovis, putting it outside. <laughs> he lost three yards on the play because the referee doesn't know how to spot the ball. <laughs> so welcome to the Pac-12. You never know yeah. what you're going to get there. But Keaton, I mean, Slovis and uh, Kyle Ford lost three or four yards because of a terrible spot, um, which I pointed out on film study. Which uh, you, you guys have to check out this one just because that's a that play in itself is.
2: Pac-12 just, refs all over
3: us. I just watched I was like, wait a second. What just happened here? Wait, yeah. He just caught this ball at the 42 or whatever, and it's at the 30, whatever it was.
1: Yeah. Yikes. Now, Chuck, an interesting develop, development we saw in practice this week was true freshman tight end Lake McCree. I yep. thought he had a good week of practice. Do you anticipate that maybe showing itself in the game in more playing time?
3: Yeah, he he was a dude this week. A dude. Uh, you know, he made a ton of catches in the one-on-one drills, and I think that what it is is we've seen him and he can make some plays and has some more athleticism. Basketball player in high school as well, but I think it's confidence. You know, he feels like, okay, I finally arrived. He made, his first, you know, he made his debut last week. He made his first catch. And you know, he was able to get some, uh, some first and second team reps last week during practice. You start feeling yourself a little bit more. Like, all right, I, I, I'm fitting in here. He's adding a little bit more weight. He's a little bit lean for a tight end right now. He's working on the blocking. But I think he's getting some confidence to himself. And I think that could be a, a big piece for them because you know, they need a tight end to step up now whether it be Malcolm Epps, whether it be one of the old guys, the old guys, I call Jude Wolf an old guy, even though he's, I think it's his third year. I think he's technically, may even still be a freshman if it's if he's third year uh, because of the COVID. But uh, Eric Cromenhook, someone had to step up in that room with Michael Trigg not out, I mean, not, not back in – not looking like he's going to be back anytime soon. We didn't, haven't seen him at practice this week. No,
2: Trickwood would have been a great – I mean, this would have been a great opportunity for him.
3: Yeah, but again, he's a guy that was really benefiting from Drake London because he was getting one-on-one coverages, whereas if he's the only guy out there that you'd see as a playmaker – Maybe you keep someone, you keep a, um, a linebacker underneath him, a safety over the top, some different things like that. But who's going to step up? Someone needs to. And I think Lake McCree could be a guy that does that. And if his confidence continues to grow, he made a ton of plays this week in practice. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some opportunities on, on Saturday. What does he do with those opportunities?
1: Mm-hmm. We got a question from AKA Boone on YouTube who said, uh, will ASU's defense play the run or have more pass rush knowing Keenan Slowis lost his favorite target?
2: I think there's, they'd like to dial up pressures. I think you're going to see some of that. But uh, I really feel like USC is going to focus on running the ball, just like Shotgun was talking about in the second half last uh, last week. I think they're going to try to run the football more and, and you know, mix in passes and try to get the, the wide receivers going without Drake London in there. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see what Arizona State's doing, but I feel like you're going to see a team that's going to try to stop the run, but really, you know, pack guys at the line of scrimmage, try to force uh, the action in USC's backfield if it's going to be the pass rush or just kind of you know run blitzes and stop the run uh, and make USC, if they can't run the ball, hit something deep that's somebody besides Drake London.
3: If I'm Arizona State, I'm stacking the box. Yeah, I feel confident in Jack Jones. I feel confident in Chase Lucas. Um, now, the slot area, the tight ends, kind of see how that kind of develops, but I would leave those guys on islands, feel confident in my veteran guys. I mean, Chase Lucas is like 45 years old, I feel like. He's been around for a a ton uh, of action at ASU and played a ton during his career. So I would leave those guys out there and force someone from USC, like, all right, let's see if one of these receivers does step up. and they burn them once or twice, then maybe you you make an adjustment. But, you know, I stack the box and say, you're not going to run, you're not going to do that, and you're going to be one-dimensional in your passing attack and see if USC can do anything there.
1: Mm-hmm. now over on defense shotgun this is something you noticed in your uh, film study USC's uh, situational awareness their eyes to to kind of diagnose the play has struggled as of late and that's something that Todd Orlando ended up talking about and his media availability how critical will that be when you're playing a guy like Jaden Daniels
3: I mean it's crucial um, in, in any circumstance sure USC's played a lot of zone coverage the last couple weeks since the bye week um, they try to switch some things up but it, it's kinda like when a when a basketball team switches to a zone midway through a season. Like there's gonna be some rough patches, like it's not something you do every single day, so it's not gonna be your strength. And there's just guys you know, they, they're dropping into their coverage area, but they're not noticing, okay, that guy's coming from this side, that guy's coming from this side and moving with wherever the receivers are. They're just been like, Okay, this is my spot, I gotta be there. You know, you gotta be you gotta have feel. And I don't think that these players have a great feel in their zone coverage right now. But with Jaden Daniels, one of the things I noted on one play in the uh, the final play of the third quarter, Raylan Goforth, the, the quarterback gets outside. USC um, you know doesn't get a bunch of pressure. Quarterback gets outside. Go Goforth decides, all right, I'm going to go provide the pressure. And he takes off running after him and the quarterback's able to dump it right over him to an open receiver. The spot, yeah. Jaden Daniels is really good at putting pressure on those defenders when he gets outside the pocket and deciding, okay, are you going to try to come and tackle me and try to get a sack? And maybe he makes a guy miss because he has that ability too. Um, if you do that, he's just going to dump the ball over you. Um, but if you back off, you know, he might, you know, take off running and be able to run up the sideline. He had a 38-yard run against USC as a scramble last year. So, uh, you know, he has that ability and he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. The one thing that the biggest issue, I think, for USC's defense right now, is tackling has been a huge issue. Yes. But even bigger than that, something that can be can overcome tackling issues is they're not creating any turnovers. Yeah. Remember last year, how many turnovers they created? Now, Talano Hufunga was a monster part of that. <laughs> he had probably half of them himself. But they're not creating turnovers consistently. Now, they've gotten one each, I think, the last two weeks. Chris Steele, uh, both times, interception at Notre Dame. He, he knocked the ball out. But, you know, last year they were getting some three and four turnover games, and that's what's been kind of been missing They can make up for some of the deficiencies that they have. Uh, if you get a turnover, that changes the complexion of it, and, you know, they haven't been able to consistently get those.
2: What, real quick on that, uh, I asked Dante Williams about that this morning on our Zoom call because, like I mentioned, you know, Washington State comes out, Fumble on the second offensive play for ASU. The third offensive play, another fumble. Yeah. Interception on the next series. And it looked like Washington State was going after the football. Like, it wasn't – and, you know, I asked Dante Williams about that. Like, they had five turnovers in that game. Can you use that momentum? Like, they're a team that's reeling. Is that something you can do to kind of keep it going? Like, hey, we don't want them to get right against us. They've been in a tailspin for the last six quarters. How do we get it to get, you know, get it in our favor? And he seemed like it was more about, hey, it was what we do – and I asked him about the turnover part. And he's like, You want to get the ball, but you don't want the first guy to, to, to get, you know, the first guy there to punch it out because then you might miss the tackle and stuff. But that's definitely what Washington State was doing. I'm not sure there's going to be an emphasis on the creating turnover spot, but if there was any way you could do it in practice, I think this would have been the week to do it because ASU was just on a roll as far as turnovers go. If you can get that going, I mean, you can, you can win the game fairly easily.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jaden Daniels is usually a guy that takes care of the ball extremely well. I mean, he had like, he had a, I think he has the school record for most pass attempts without an interception. Uh, I think that was last year, 2019. 2019 as a freshman, I believe it was. Maybe it even overlapped to the 2020 season. But he's done a really good job there. And they don't ask him to do too much because their run game has been pretty successful when they're rolling right. You know yeah. their run game has been really good, um, and and that's been the difference for them because they don't ask him to do too much, and then they can play action. And that's that's actually the situational awareness that USC has struggled with the most this season, with their you know their linebackers are you're really attacking downhill trying to you know stop the run. Their safeties when they're playing up in the box are doing the same thing, and it creates a huge gap. Those guys get a, a yard away from the line of scrimmage and realize. Oh crap! They're throwing the ball and then they try to retreat, <laughs> and the safeties are already playing fifteen yards deep. So now you got ten yards of, of space in between, and there, you know, there's been a lot of times this season where teams have been able to hit uh, plays over the middle because off of play action because USC is really attacking downhill and not recognizing the run quick enough.
1: We had a question from Dakers on YouTube who said, "How do we take away ASU's quarterback's mobility?"
2: I mean, Will Plummer is not the most mobile quarterback in the world, and he what was it like a sixteen-yard touchdown run uh, he had that was
3: two terrible attempts at tackling. <laughs> That's just a terrible play. You can't have that happen. Third and 16 at the goal line, you know, it was third and goal, I think, at the yeah, 16. Third so goal. you go, okay, they're going to kick a field goal regardless. All you gotta do is make it, sell out, make the tackle. Don't worry about anything You're else. You're talking about the five.
2: Let them At get the get one, it letter. doesn't
3: matter. <laughs> It, yeah. it was just ter- like, and both the linebackers had a great opportunity to tackle him and either one of them made it.
2: So that's, that's the problem is like, can USC's defense get this Arizona state offense right by, oh, Gene Daniels can get what he wants when he takes off and runs and, oh, they're not going to turn the ball over and, oh, suddenly receivers aren't dropping passes anymore and guys are more open and you start building confidence. That's the worry. I mean, USC's just given up some huge plays uh, at especially at inopportune times, like that third, and you know, third and goal from the sixteen. Will Plummer is nowhere near the athlete that Jane Daniels is. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't really felt confident USC's been able to scheme that kind of stuff or guys staying home they got to do something a little bit different. It just seems like whatever they're doing isn't working. I like Todd Orlando a lot, but just something's not working with his defense, and and Jaden Daniels is going to be really hard to contain him.
3: As far as a mobile quarterback, you know, your defensive ends, you just can't rush straight up the field. That was what happened on that play. They actually had a 3 two, 6 defense in, so only three down linemen, and both the guys got really wide going to try to get in the backfield and create a sack, and he steps up and is able to run through it. Um, and that's something, you know, you look at Will Plummer, you know, when he's in there, you go, you can do that. Jamari Joyner when he was in there at the Wildcat quarterback position like they you know, they were kind of rushing a little bit differently and that's something with Jaden Daniels they're just not going to attack off the edge, you know, up the field as much. They're going to you know you're do some different things, you'll do some stunts and come back inside. That was how they got one of the sacks early. Drake Jackson was actually lined up inside. He gets in between the tackle and the guard and creates some separation for Tuli Tupilotu to come back inside. And Plummer tried to step up and he got drilled. So that's something, you know, you just got to be mindful of those gaps. You know, it's the same thing. It was a run, you know, when you're fitting a run play, everyone's got their own gap. You know, same thing for the pass rushers. You can't get outside of your lane and try to do too much. And that's been the, one of the things that, everyone on the team, especially on the defensive side, has talked about is we can't try to do too much. Yeah. Just do your job. Don't worry about doing everyone else's. Not, don't worry about making the superhero play. You know, Just be Clark Kent.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Craig Nyvar talks a lot about how the safety position, if you make one mistake, everybody knows. If you make one mistake, it's usually points. We've seen more of a rotation now, and, and Chris Thompson Jr. is getting healthier. What do you guys anticipate as far as who the safeties we'll see on Saturday?
2: I mean, we love the way Caleb Bullock's played, like, kind of started off early, and then you've seen him come on a little bit later, you know, talk about Chris Thompson. Um, I think you're, there's no need to, like, well, here's our guys. You know, we're going to go with these. It just it didn't seem like anyone's playing all that well. And I think if if you get someone that hasn't played as much and they come in and, and make a big play, you don't want them to come in and do too much and get to the point where they're, you know, you're, you're giving up a big play. But USC Stevens just given up a whole bunch of big plays all season, so I don't mind Craig Navar kind of moving some some pieces around, seeing if there's some strengths. If you see like hey, he's a little more physical, we can play him near the line of scrimmage. Maybe he helps out stopping a Jane Daniels from taking off and running. Whatever you got to do. I mean, like we said, it's just not. There's just whatever they're trying on defense just doesn't seem to be working. You can't allow Stanford to score the most points they've ever scored in the season. Oregon State to score the most points. Utah to score the most points. Arizona to score like almost double what they scored all season you're not doing something right. And so I, I got to know issues. If you're going to mix guys around, you know, Isaiah pull is a captain. He would be the first to admit he's not playing as well as he, as he could. And um, there's no one that's earned a spot there. They're like, Oh, you have to, there's no talent. No fungus right now. You're like, he has to play no matter what. So if you're going to play some of the new guys, younger guys, whatever, uh, I'm all for that. I mean, just you got to try something different. Yeah, they're trying to
3: build Isaiah Paul confidence back up. That's one of the things that he's gotten kind of gotten in his own head at times this season. And, and Craig Nivar and talked about that first touchdown. He said, You get beat, that's fine, but don't give up the touchdown. We can't give up that. Take the penalty. He was there and he got the penalty, but then he still let the guy catch the ball. Just tackle the guy. If if you're already beat, you know it's early in the game. Give them 15 yards and a first down rather than giving up. What was it? 72 yard touchdown or whatever it was. Um, You you know, you just got to understand. That's again, that's situational awareness. Knowing. It's better for me to take a 15-yard flag. It's college. It's not the NFL where it's spot of the spot of the foul. So take the 15-yard flag and, and be fine with it, rather than giving up an explosive play like that. Um, you know the the safeties. They used five or six different guys last, last game, um, and they can use different guys, and they're trying to use them in different ways. And that's the interesting thing with Chris Thompson. He's going to be down in the box more, so when they're expecting runs, you're going to see him down there being kind of an extra linebacker, basically, yeah. you know, being a you know thicker, more physical guy, whereas Greg Johnson, if he's healthy, he's going to be out in coverage a little bit more in that spot, at the nickel spot. I, I thought Zavin Alford played really well last game, and he played really well against Washington State. So when he's had some opportunities... Outside of the Notre Dame game, because he played terrible in that game. But outside of that game, when he's had opportunities, he's making a ton of tackles. Now, that's not always great for a safety, but the number of plays, like he was in for like 20 plays last game and had four or five tackles. Yeah. So he's finding the ball and getting to it and making plays, which is something some of the other safeties haven't done. Yeah. There's been a lot of missed tackles in the safety group. Um, and then Kalen Bullock needs to be on the field all the time. That dude, he's, he's a beast. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's we talked about it when he came in. I was like, oh, he's super athletic. you got to put on some weight.
2: Yeah. but It's a little slight, but
3: super slight. When he came in, <laughs> he, he looks different already. Uh, just the look at his calves and like, there are actual calves now. Um, but <laughs> <Poor> he, <kid. laughs> he, he, his, his nickname was sticks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he is, he's so athletic and he reads plays so well. And he's, he's gaining more confidence, I think because they're giving him more responsibility. Keely and I talked to him after the game and talked about that, you know, just, what's kind of been the process of becoming, you know, because the safeties are putting everybody else in place. And he said, yeah, it was a process. He's, he's figuring out, making the calls, understanding where everyone has to be and not just where he has to be. And he made a, he would have had an interception if the field was a couple yards wider um, on, on Saturday. Yeah. Nice leaping grab as he's going out of bounds, try to get the foot down. But he's making a ton of plays. They, they have to keep him on the field, I think, uh, whether it's at nickel, whether it's at the, the high safety, wherever, he's, he's the one guy that I feel like needs to be on the field.
1: Mm-hmm. A couple more preview questions before we jump into user questions or at least more user questions. If you uh, have a comment or a question, be sure to put them in and then we'll go into some rapid fire. We had a question from John on Facebook who said, how motivated do you think uh, the team is to play in a bowl game?
2: You know, I think the Drake London comments about this before were, it probably says most of it Where you know, they were asked like, hey, you know, you're going to be a, a first round draft pick. He wants to play in a bowl, you know, he wanted to play in a bowl. And obviously he can't do that now. Um, And you weren't sure, you know, if this team, I mean, this team could finish four and eight, right? Like they could lose their next four games. Um, Could theoretically finish eight and four, you know, somewhere in the middle. If it's a six and six team or seven and five, you go to the Los Los Angeles Bowl, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, whatever it is. um, You know, are you motivated? I I think they they would be. It's going to be weird with the coaching staff because we're not sure what the timing of the new head coach coming in. Uh, would a lot of these guys be on their way out? So it it's definitely going to be a weird situation. But I, from talking to guys, it seems like the players are motivated to want to play in a bowl game. You get the swag bag and all that stuff. I don't think they were like, oh, "We don't want to go to a bowl game." At least from what I the guys I talk. This to.
3: isn't like a LSU team coming off a national championship, and ah, you get six and six, and you get in the Independence Cure Bowl or something. Yeah, this is not the same case. This, none of, nobody on this roster barely has been to a bowl game. Maybe Vi and Liam Jimmins. I I think they're the only two. I think they were, they played, or not, I don't know if they even played, but I think they were on the team when they played in the Cotton Bowl. But that's how far back it was since USC's won a bowl game. So they want to, you know, get to a game and and win a game. Uh, So, you know, they haven't really been able to do much they didn't play last year there's so many players on this team that are new in the last two years so none of those guys have worn USC colors with the whatever bowl patch on their sh- uh, shoulders so I think that there's definitely motivation there and just it would be big for USC's development now there's definitely questions about new coach coming in but when that happens but they have so many young players they need those extra practices yeah you, know? you get
2: your 15 bowl practices well. yeah they didn't usually use the fifteen ball practices, but they
3: might now, you know. <laughs> well, also depending Too on soon. when a new coach comes in, <laughs> if a new coach comes in before the bowl game, those fifteen practices can be used. It's like an extra spring to get to know your players, what they can do, and try to establish that culture to begin with. Because we've heard so much about how these coaches and the strength staff try to create a culture, but it's so difficult last year during the COVID stuff. Um, you know, when you're doing Zoom calls trying to create a culture where if a new staff comes in, you get an extra fifteen practices, and it makes a second uh, camp that you can have. Basically, and if, honestly, that's how I would treat it. Don't even worry about what happens in the game. Don't even yeah. worry about game planning. You know, outside of the three or four practices before, take the first ten practices and be like, "All right, look, this is going to treat this as a winter camp." I know you guys are your bodies are banged up and stuff, but I know you want to prove that you need, you need to be a starter next year. Then that's what I would it. do if I was a new coach coming in.
1: Wow! All right, we we got a question from Brian on YouTube who said, "Will Max Gibbs get more playing time this week?" And Orlando actually talked about that. Shotgun.
3: Uh, Max Gibbs is a guy that continues to develop. I talked to Vic Soto about it. I'm looking up his numbers right here. Uh, he played he played six plays in a row at one point. And On that six play, you could tell he's gassed. Absolutely gassed. There's no pass <laughs> rush going on. He's a large human being. Um, but so he's that's big. that's still a concern for him is the conditioning. And I talked to Vic Soto about it. Is understanding, you know, more than just one snap. You know, because w- the first couple times he came in, it's like, all right, you got one job on this one play. You go and you do it as a goal line play, then you're out of the game. Now when you're multiple plays in a row. Are you going to develop and process? How are you processing the information? But everyone was super excited. He made the first, his first play in this past week. He made a tackle and it sounded like there was a turnover. Yeah. Like I'm looking in, like, because I was actually shooting Max on the play. So I saw him uh, make the tackle as I'm shooting photos. But I was like, wait, did the ball pop free? Cause I kind of lost sight. And it was just, no, everyone's super excited because everyone loves Max and, and what he can bring to the table and, you know, just the gregarious nature that he has. So, you know, I think he's a guy that will continue to develop. But, the good thing for USC is they may not have to play him as much. So last week he had 13 defensive snaps. And he played some on special teams as well, uh, on the kick block unit. But if they get Jamar Sakona back, if they can get Ishmael Sopstra back, you know if you can get some of those guys back, then that lightens the load on someone. So maybe Max Gibbs doesn't have to go six plays in a row. Maybe he can go three, get somebody else in there for three, keep them fresh. Because late in that third quarter, particular in particular, and some in the fourth quarter, the defense was gassed. You know, and it's because they're really thin on the defensive line right now, with Nick Figueroa being out as well. Uh, they're, they're thin there. The linebackers play pretty much every snap. So, some of those guys, you could tell that they were gassed. Uh, and, you know, going to Arizona State, did they try to push the tempo a little bit after seeing some of that? Yeah, like,
2: these guys are tired. Let's go fast.
3: Yeah. So, you know, they could kind of try to attack him in different ways. I think get Max Gibbs is progressing, which is great to see. And everyone thinks he's going to be a playmaker eventually. Um, whether whichever side of the ball he's going to be on. Uh, but he's he was in there making a plays. He's got his first career tackle on, on Saturday. So that was cool to see. Good for him.
1: Uh, we got a question about uh, Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman. a statement. It's Trojan Trojan who says Jackson and Foreman need to play close to the line, let them loose, and play football. I think we also got a question earlier that was wondering why Corey Foreman is not getting as much pressure for his body type.
2: Yeah. I, I had Harvey Hyde on the show, uh, the podcast on Monday, and he was the same thing. It was just like, you got those two guys as edge, rush, edge, edge rushers, just want them in the backfield causing havoc. And I think the way that USC's just, I don't know what your plan is. Your plan hasn't been working. Like, you know, those two guys can get after the quarterback. Just put them out there and let them go. I i, I agree with Jordan Trojan. I don't know what you think, Shotgunner.
3: Corey Foreman did not play in the first half on yeah. Saturday. So I asked Vic Soto, you know, he did play in the second half. I said, you know, that was one of the things he's talked about with some of the other guys is getting them in, into practice. So I led into the Corey Foreman question. I, said, okay, why didn't he play in the first half? He said he hadn't put pads on all week. (laughs) And that's a big thing for – in particular for Vic Soto, but for all the defense coaches, for Dante Williams. Dante Williams, you know, makes – you know, if you're injured but you can still dress out, he's going to have you dress out in full pads and, you know, then go to rehab island and do your stuff. But if Corey Foreman wasn't in full pads, then why is he going to be ready for the first half of the game? It was interesting they put him in the second half, and part of that reason was Drake Jackson got banged up a little bit, so you know they're getting really thin on the defensive line. When Corey Foreman's been in there, He's been able to create some pressure. He got to the quarterback a couple times uh, in this game and got him off his spot. But getting the sacks—that's another, you know, another step in the development for him. And the more opportunities he gets, the, the more he's going to develop. But he's got to be healthy and he's got to be locked in during the practice week to earn those reps on Saturday. That's the big thing. Vic Soto is going to make all those guys earn their opportunities. And you're looking at the playing time of Corey Foreman, you got to
2: go—they don't feel like he's earning them enough. Yeah, if he hadn't put pads on all week, I get it. You know, there's fans who are like, "Hey, we got to play him. We got to play him." Like. Well, he needs to put the pads on sometime during the week. You know? Especially
3: because you know there's been times when freshmen make mistakes, and he's made some mistakes on you know read option plays, and the quarterback gets outside. Well, if you you come in, you put him in there, and then Jamari is the quarterback, and they're in the Wildcat, and then run a read option, and he doesn't play it right because he hasn't been looking at those looks during the week on scout team, and he makes a mistake. Everybody's going to be like, "Why is that guy making a mistake? Why they got him in there?" well, we need him to practice so he can look at and see these things. So it's you know it's the give and take there. You want to get those young guys some experience, but he's got to be ready. Now there's some other positions where I think some of those young guys should be getting some more opportunities, particularly linebacker um, and, and getting Rajon Davis in there because he's a guy that's going to be a stud. They've talked about him in the fall camp and stuff, and he's not a guy that's been in that rotation ever this season. I would love to see him get – Hey, if it's one series in a game, you know, down the stretch of this, start getting him just a little bit of playing time, get his feet wet, and give him an opportunity. He is a guy that has been healthy. So uh, that's one that I would like to see, actually.
1: Why do you think we haven't seen him, Shock? And I know Todd Orlando identified him as a guy. He specifically said not just Corey Foreman, but Ray Davis. We need to get him ready and, and p- potentially see him more by week six. We haven't seen him yet.
3: If I had an answer, then I probably wouldn't be kind of pushing for him to be in there. Um, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this is why he's not doing it with, like, Corey Foreman. But I, I don't really understand it. I, I know a lot of times when uh coordinator, his position, whatever position he would normally be at, now technically Michael Hutchings is the linebacker coach, but Todd Orlando coaches that group as well, they're that much more harder yeah. On, yeah. on the players. You know, we need you to learn this and this and this. Um, but the play at linebacker has not been good enough
2: this no. season.
3: So... Why not try someone else in there, get the freshman? Even if he's making mistakes, is he
2: gonna make the same mistakes? Is it right. be... It's not like you're like replacing someone that's making is playing flawlessly. Yeah. Like you're not replacing all Americans. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. We had a question from A.K.A. Boone on YouTube who said, Will My, will Man Jack or Mike Jack get some playing time on Saturday?
2: I uh, mean, Man Jack starts the first game and then we like hardly see him since, right? Uh Michael Jackson, he's talking about Mike Jack. I mean, Usually you watch him in camp, you're like, all right, he's definitely going to be a contributor. He's going to play. And, like, he's hardly done anything, you know? Um, I think you're going to see – got to see those guys more now. I think they'll probably be willing to do more of a rotation. Me saying that probably means they're not going to rotate anybody. But like, <laughs> you would think they're probably going to do that. But now you have London, there's big, you know, huge I, I, shoes to fill, right? And if you can, like, rotate some dudes in. Uh, but I think you will start to see a little bit more of that. Or they just fall into a thing like, oh, we feel real comfortable with these three guys and no one else plays. I don't think that's the way it should be. It could be. Who the heck? Who knows?
3: The thing is we've been saying, oh, they should rotate more at receiver for,
2: for like two years. Three yeah. years, yeah.
3: something <laughs> like that. Um, so uh, actually going back to the Juju's days, Juju and Darius Rogers played every single snap. And you're like, well, can Daquan Hampton not play at all? Yeah. Or what? like, let him get in there. Isaac Whitney, who went to the NFL and was around for a couple of years in the he NFL, but play, couldn't yeah. get any playing time at USC. Uh, so it's been a, a question for a while now. But, Mike Jack, one of the interesting things, though, is I have him at four games.
2: He did play. Okay.
3: So he's played very little, but he's played in four games. And one of them was one snap. The the touchdown that Kyle Ford caught at Washington State, Michael Jackson was in on that play. That burns one of his games towards a redshirt. So with four games left in the season, do you look at that? And now it's also an interesting uh, kind of dilemma. If if you're on the coaching staff, are, are you worried about anybody's red shirt? No. So you're probably not going to be back. Yeah. So you might, you know, if you're, you know, starting a five year deal or whatever it may be, you know, you know you're going to be around for five years. You might say, okay, that guy needs to develop. You know, he's probably going to be here next year. Let's not play him. But you know, do the coaching staff, is like we don't care about anybody's red shirt and and use them because he's at four games right now. Similar, Jackson Dart was asked about red shirt. Uh, yeah,
2: Dante Williams talked about this morning a little bit. It seemed like for some players he was fine with the red shirt. It didn't seem like he cared about Dart's red shirt. He was like, yeah, that's not. I mean. You have got the feeling like he's not trying to preserve Dart's red shirt. Like he can help us win, so we're going to play him. You know. <laughs> yeah,
3: but Michael Jackson would be an interesting one because I have him at four games. USC actually has him at three, um, and I think the Washington State was the difference. But uh, I confirmed that he was uh, participating on that play. So uh, if he's at four games, do you feel like you want to burn that red shirt to play him, and how much are you going to play him if he gets? If in, you think
2: he can contribute, then you got to. But if not, well, there's he, there's came no point. La- he came in. He did. You see that he came in last week. No, I didn't even see that.
3: Yeah, he played two snaps. um, (laughs) But, you know, that counts towards that red
2: shirt because he had two snaps.
1: Interesting. We got a question on YouTube from Kevin who says, Were you guys surprised that Clay Hilton got another job so quickly?
2: (sighs) Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast. Make sure you check it out. Dan Weber came back. We had Dan Weber on the Parastyle podcast. It was great. Shaka was sitting here the whole time listening to us, or maybe not listening. He was on his headphones. But uh, a little surprise. So the USC job was the second FBS job to open. Uh, after UConn, so Edsel, like, they were like, that was a weird thing. But USC fires Clay Helton early on after the, the Stanford game. But Georgia Southern was the next one. So basically, like, the guy who left the second job, it, you know, were fired from the second job, took the third job. Um, you know, he's got Jimmy Sexton as an agent. He's a you know super agent. He's got all kinds of great deals for everybody. Um, a little shocking that it happened because there's different options, right? Like, you could sit out a while. He's getting paid a crap load of money from USC to not coach anymore. Um, He could have taken like a coordinator spot at a power five job. I don't think he was going to get another power five head coaching job because there's places like Texas tech, TCU open. If he was a candidate for those jobs, I think he would probably would have held out more. The fact that those jobs are open Texas things again, and he didn't hold out um, to me, that's saying, okay, they weren't interested in you for that, which totally makes sense. Uh, If you're going to take a group of five job, I mean, it's a, this is a pretty prestigious job. It was FCS like seven years ago. They won national championships, but the problem is you're in the Sun Belt. It's really competitive. Coastal Carolina's good. Appalachian State's good. Uh, Louisiana's good, and they're a triple-option team. And they were. they were well, I don't know. If they they are right now. So like, <laughs> um, they're like two and six or something. They're not very good. It's like a rebuild in a small town in Georgia that with an offense that you're not familiar with. Uh, He does get a head start. I mean, he can build his staff and all that stuff. It'll be interesting to see any former staff, like a John Baxter or anyone that he used to employ, comes with him. Any guys that are like bottom of the depth chart at USC, transfers to Southern Georgia. Like, it's all going to be fun to kind of watch. But I was a little shocked that he took it that quickly. But that just tells me there wasn't going to be really uh, like better opportunities out there. If if Jimmy Sexton thought there was going to be better opportunities, I don't think he would have announced for this job Really, That's just my take on it.
3: You don't usually get fired from a Power 5 job and immediately take another one. Usually it's a step down to either a coordinator or to a group of five and then you try to work your way up. Uh, I mean, look at Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkisian, you know, all these guys that have gone through USC and had to go to Alabama first or, you know, the number of guys that have gone through Alabama, uh, which is why people are actually surprised. I think some people are like, wait, Saban must have said no. Yeah.
2: Saban (laughs) didn't take him. Um,
3: But I think it's a pretty good fit spot for him. This is probably where he should have been. Oh, yeah. First head coaching. I mean, that's the thing.
2: Yes. This is where his first job should have been.
3: Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's very interesting. Georgia Southern has gone on a complete social media campaign, just inundating um, with, with everything Clay Helton. So they think they got their man. And now can he revive that program to where it was his FCS program? No, they're going to win national championships. But that, they try, they've tried some different things. They tried to go back to the triple option because that's what they did really well um when they were FCS Paul Johnson the former Georgia Tech coach they tried to get him to come out of retirement i think to take the job yeah. because he ran the the triple option there they tried to go back to that well does not work at the the power 5 level unless maybe you're navy or a naval or uh, army or something like that yeah. but so they're going to Clay Helton. You know, we'll see if there's any USC connections that end up there. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. gotta be. There's That'll gotta. be interesting. Whether it's coaches or whether it's some players, you know, we had some questions about does anyone transfer to Georgia Southern? Not out of the realm of possibility. Oh, yeah. With as many people as, you know, really liked Clay Helton when they're being recruited by him and stuff. Wouldn't be surprised if they think that there's more playing time there and they think that, you know, they'll be one of his favorites and they'll go and, you know, mm-hmm. take that opportunity. And you
2: can get a new coach that comes in and it's like Everything's buttoned down, disciplined, tough, you know, and, yeah. and someone's like, that's not what I signed up for. I'm going to go back to Clay you <laughs> know, I mean, there could be some of that, too. So
1: Sure. We got a question from Andrew on YouTube who said, which unit is the biggest liability for USC?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. <sighs> that's a lot of choices. Um,
1: Sean, I feel like you would know based on film study since you have to watch it so much. I, I mean, I think
3: the one that pops off the top of my head is there's... I mean the it's middle like, of the defense is as a whole if you want to do that because the defense nose tackle not be not having true nose tackle linebackers and the safety the top end safeties behind it but as a unit the safeties and Craig yeah. Nivar talked about it how that you know when they don't play well it's not oh they got a first down it's oh they got points so that's the thing the safeties haven't played well which is really disappointing actually it's the biggest disappointment of the team I think because ton of talent in that room and just not making enough plays, whether it be missed tackles or letting guys get behind them. If they play well, the defense plays well. And Craig Navarro mentioned that as well. When we play well, we play to our expectations. Then the entire defense plays much better. Even without a true nose tackle, with the linebackers not playing great, if the safeties are doing their job and are on top of everything, then the defense would take itself to another level. It wouldn't be up here, but it would go from down here where it's at right now to at least
2: up in the middle. Yeah, I think for liability wise, it's. Probably easier to go safeties because they give up. They can if yeah. they make us mistake, it's a touchdown. Probably like you talked about. Uh, but I mean the the lack of production. I would go linebackers. It's just and it's been surprising to me because you know I really felt like okay, Todd Orlando knew they didn't play well last year. This is his unit. They're going to perform. They just they've just been like a non factor a lot of the times. And so, but I would still say I would still agree with the safeties on this one. But and like you thought the offensive line might be, they've been fine. Like they've been. You could say good at times, you know, like it's been a lot better. I think just having an air raid offensive line coach with an air raid offense works a lot better than a non-air raid offensive line coach and an air raid offense. Yeah, they, the offense line been good.
3: Um, and if they clean some things up, they could even be great, you know, as, as far as the units that on this team, you know, not maybe yeah. not <laughs> historically, um, but, you know, for this team, they could be great because they're opening up some holes and they protected Pretty well this season, um, outside of the tackles, at times have been shown to be second year guys and not true tackles, maybe even. Uh, So, but they've done some really nice things and it's changed the dynamic of the game because they can run the ball now. Yeah. They can pick up third and shorts. How many times do we say the last two years, like, you got to go under center, you got to do something different, you got to. But the biggest thing was you got to get a push, and they could never do that. And now they're doing that consistently. Arizona stopped one, uh, a third and one. Short yard, yeah. What happened? USC got it to fourth and one, you know, immediately. I don't think they've been stopped this year um, in third and three or shorter in the two downs, which
2: is a huge problem last year. It yeah. was a huge yeah. problem. Yeah. And it's funny if this was a charity golf tournament, like, and they're on your team, the offensive line, they're the high handicap, right? They're the <laughs> one, but then they're shooting the lowest score or one of the lowest scores. And when that happens, you're getting all these strokes. Like it's a big deal. Like the, the offensive line you thought was going to be pretty terrible where you would have said the safeties. You're like, Oh yeah, there's, this is going to be a, a veteran safe secondary group. Uh, there you're like scratch golfer. That's like, you know, triple bogey all over the place. So that's, uh, it's a weird one, but like you got to give credit to the offensive yeah. line. You would have thought that they would have been, you know, a liability and they haven't been.
3: And, and quickly on the linebackers when you talked about with Orlando them being his unit, they made some big progress last year too, which is yeah. why I think it's been so disappointing, uh, you know, what they were the last 3 games of the season versus what they were the first they 3 were better, games. Yeah. You know, you looked at them and said that could be a unit that really takes a step forward next year, and that has not been the case. Mm
1: -hmm. Now we got this question on the podcast. I'm going to direct it towards you, Shotgun. It's from Alex, who said, Would you prefer a young, hungry, rising coach like Dave Aranda or a more seasoned, quality coach like James Franklin? Remember, Jim Harbaugh and Chip Kelly were sure bets for UM and UCLA. I
3: think I know Ryan's answer would be the coach that wins, but that's not not that easy, obviously. Um, I really like Aranda and everything he's doing. I don't think it. I think you just got to find the guy that's the best fit, whether it's the old guy, the young guy. Uh, you know, just schematically, all those type of things. Who's going to fit best in Los Angeles? Who can recruit well in this area? Who's going to deal with the players that USC gets? This isn't Midwest Iowa folk. You know, it's not yes sir no. Like, you know, you you're going to get some talk back in the in the <laughs> locker room at times. How do you handle that? Yeah. I talked with someone recently, and they were talking about one of the previous coaches that USC had. And this person has gone on and done pretty successful his stops before and after. Didn't do really well at USC, and that was an issue. Just like you're not used to dealing with someone talking back or going to question you. Some, you know, you're used to the authoritarian, and when I say goes, that may not work. That fly at USC with some of the kids that you recruit. How do you respond to that? Do do you buy into it? Can you go back and forth with them, Pete Carroll? Why did he work so well? Because of the energy he had. Because he could connect with every single person in the room, didn't matter where they're from, what, what century of history they were from. <laughs> Pete Carroll could connect with you. Um, and you know, that, I think that's going to be a bigger issue than necessarily young or old because I think you know Pete Carroll's an old soul. I mean, a young soul, even though he's an older guy. If, if you had someone with the same resume as Pete Carroll, uh, it, as far as the things he can do right now, then I think you would go with that versus if you have a disciplinarian that's a young guy that's up and coming. I, I think it's more fit than age necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. We've reached the top of the hour, so I'm going to put us into rapid-fire mode. So, quick answers there, Shadi. we got a question on YouTube. These these are
3: really quick, aren't they? Yeah. For you,
1: sure. (laughs) Uh, we got a take-it-or-leave-it submission, actually, which is fun. Yes, on YouTube from Tim, who said, take it or leave it. Keontae Ingram rushes for 150 yards. He's on a tear running all over the Irish and the Wildcats. Sorry, no fake sponsor available for this question.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take it. it. Yeah, I think think they're going to run him more. I think they're going to try to get him his yards where even if he's not going to, if it's going to be more like a four yard per carry kind of thing, I think he'll get enough carries and break a couple and and get I'm going to take it. 150 yards for Ingram.
3: I'm going to leave it. Oh!
1: Ooh.
2: I don't think that they,
3: one Arizona State I don't think is going to miss as many tackles as Arizona does. Uh And two, I think after seeing Drake London's out, I think the entire game plan is let's shut down 28. Yeah.
1: it's a good point. We got a question from Trojan Trojan who said, any update with Michael Trigg?
3: We saw him on the sideline, or I saw him on the sideline Saturday uh, in good spirits and stuff, but where's he at in his rehab? Um, We haven't seen him do anything on the field as far as come out and go through anything with a trainer. We haven't seen him on Rehab Island. That tells me he's not. Until he does some of those things, uh, I'm not even looking. You know, He's not even worth asking a question about to the coaches, really, to me.
1: Jarrett on YouTube says, does does the staff believe rotating quarterbacks is best for the offense, or are they afraid to rip off the Band-Aid in benching a preseason All-American? Uh,
2: I don't, th- I mean, I mean, I don't think Graham Harrell's, I think Graham Harrell likes uh, Slovis. I think him, you know, like you guys say shotgun loves Slovis. I think <laughs> Graham Harrell does love Slovis. Uh, I think this is more of a Dante, this is my guess, is that more of a Dante Williams thing is like, hey, we need to mix things up a little bit. And, Um, that's why you're seeing more Jackson Dart. I mean, I. but like Shaka said, Slovis played better than Dart did in that last game. So um, he's a starter for a reason. It's not like you can't just say, oh, we're going to put Dart in and all the problems are going to be fixed. Like, that's just not the case, especially if Dart's not running. He can fix some stuff by running, like bad scheme, but that's more just because he's athletic and that's, you know, it, he's in the same offense as Slovis and we saw them both in the same game against the same team and Slovis looked a little better. So that's kind of what you expect. Now, some people didn't want to agree with that statement
3: oh. that, that I thought that, that Slovis played better. Um, if you want to look at the PFF grades, they had Slovis a little bit higher as well. But like for, Dart wasn't rated high at all, right? Yeah, he was towards the bottom. But one of the issues was. He had five throws over 10 yards. He only completed one pass. So the big thing at Washington State was he was able to connect on those deep balls, didn't necessarily do it uh, against uh, Arizona last week. So you, that's something that if he's not running, you got to be able to connect on the deep ball. That's that's his gunslinger mentality. He's going to take some shots downfield, but you got to be able to connect on some of those. So that's why I didn't think he graded out as well this game. That's why I didn't think he played as well, uh, despite the picks. The pick six is kind of the brings Slovis way back down to dart. <laughs> But I think that's the danger though. That type of play where you're not in a rhythm. And I thought it was really interesting what Keaton Slova said after and I mentioned it earlier in the show, but he said after the game, he said that 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 uh, linebacker was creeping out and I didn't really notice that because, you know, I'd just come back in and apparently that was something he had, you know, done. And he said maybe if I was in, I would have saw saw that as the drives progress and I don't make that throw. But that's again. It's going to come back down. To, those guys are going to have to communicate you really well. Communicate, yeah. But
1: Harold seemed like that wasn't an issue. He was like he should have recognized that whether or not he was playing. I, I mean,
3: it's true. I, I looked. There was one play earlier in the game. They run the same concept: double slants. The Pandy comes down on inside receiver. Now, granted, the inside receiver is Drake.
2: Pandy, I like that. Uh, he comes
3: down on Drake London. So Drake London again causes so many more, so much more attention. He opens up that window to the backside. Uh, and on that play, he just took off running straight out. And I don't know if it was the, the, the defensive call and where his zone was that he was supposed to play in, but he did a good job getting his head around and whatnot. But yeah, Slovis has to recognize that better. As a veteran quarterback, you can't make those type of mistakes yeah. because it's six points going the other way. Usually, when you give up a, a defense touchdown, you lose. That's the difference in playing a team that you're a 21 point favorite over versus like an Arizona State. If they give up a defense touchdown against Arizona State, I'm guessing they lose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's. That's something that can't happen when you're a third year guy, and maybe he's pressing. I gotta get make this play. I gotta make because this guy's on my tail. You know, and that's that's the danger. And I think it's interesting. Clay Helton was a quarterback, and he said, "I don't want you know, I don't want him ever looking over his shoulder." Yep. Dante Williams is a cornerback. He's like, look over your shoulder, damn it. Well, cornerbacks, (laughs) cornerbacks, it's all about competition. I want man to man. I want to go against you all the time. And it's not the you know, and, and corner cornerbacks, defensive backs. You get beat, you got to get right back up for the next play. Quarterbacks, you get beat, it can be a game changing, you know, game changer because the defense touchdown yeah. completely alters everything. So I think it's just an interesting difference in mentality of a former DB versus a former quarterback and how you're yeah. dealing with a position that is the position you played or one that you were going against.
1: Yeah, we definitely wouldn't see this under Helton at no. all. That's not a very Helton thing to do. We got a question on YouTube from a fellow, Ryan. He says, who do you think will win tomorrow night, Stanford or Utah? Uh,
2: I, got, I think Utah's going to beat them pretty good. I think Utah's favored by like seven and a half or something. or I, It's something like that. I think it's gone up uh, a little bit. I, Utah looks like a legit team. They didn't look as good in the beginning. Uh, Cam Rising has come along. He you know played really well against USC. He's played well since then. Uh, they run the ball. They, they, they had the transfers like Shotgun mentioned earlier. Maybe it didn't work out all as you know the very beginning, but they just seem to be playing really good football right now. And Stanford is still not that good. I mean, they're three and five. Uh, yes, they beat Oregon, but you know Oregon didn't have their offensive coordinator. Um, I think I think Utah is going to take care of business against Stanford.
1: We got a question on Facebook from Alan who said, "It's already November fourth. Do any of you believe USC will announce a new coach before early signing day?"
3: Yes.
2: Yeah, I think there's a, a real shot of that, but I feel like they want to get the hire right. Um, but they're, you know, they're keeping everything quiet. Uh, you know, kudos to them for for doing all that. But yeah, I, I think ideally you're going to announce it as early as possible, but it might not happen. If it doesn't happen, it's going to be because they're trying to get somebody they can't get until then.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Great answer.
2: But the answer is yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Shadi.
1: Jesse on YouTube said, how important like uh, Lee Corso. That's great. Great.
3: But whoa, 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 Not Not so so fast.
1: fast. (laughs) Uh, Jesse on YouTube said, how important is it that USC keeps its composure on Saturday? ASU has a lot of guys that love to talk. Uh, What's the over under on unsportsmanlike penalties? Oh,
2: that's a a great question (laughs) for both sides. Yeah, I mean, this is not going to be the composure bowl. I would say (laughs) for for everyone involved. What would
1: be the composure bowl? Well, I mean, like
2: Stanford versus Utah, like they're probably not going to get a lot of penalties. Stuff. This is like as loose, loosey goosey as it's going to get. Like both teams can create a ton of penalties. Trash talk. You got Jack Jones, who used to be at USC. I mean, yeah. Like, Merlin Robertson, who USC didn't recruit hard. Exactly. A lot of, like, Southern California players that play for ASU that maybe USC overlooked. So, yeah, there's a huge Just upside as far as if you like – if you're a big fan of the personal foul flags, like, you're probably going to get, like, five or six. <laughs> who's
1: more? a big fan I, say, of the I don't
2: know. People are like
1: – I am. That's Go. why I watch the game of football. <laughs>
2: Glasses ref on Twitter or something? Yeah, he likes that.
1: Um,
3: sure. I think it's interesting. These – Coaching staffs have gone back and forth, and it's in a fun, playful way. Not so much right now because Chris Hawkins and Prentice Gill are both on paid administrative leave. But those guys have gone back and forth with Gavin and Michael Hutchings and all these guys. Chris Hawkins and Michael Hutchings are best friends, so just interesting dynamics there. So there's trash talk between them, and they may be kidding, but the players may take it seriously, more seriously. Um, And when you get on the field, you never know what happens. And there's – it's. This game has always been kind of unique, you know. Remember two years ago, USC goes there. Ooh, this could be a tough game for USC, especially Vi's not dressed, even Carr's not dressed. Or they dressed before the game (laughs) and undressed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, got out of. it. They warmed up and that was it. But then USC puts up twenty eight points at like nothing. Uh, 90, someone asked earlier, uh, has Slovis ever led a 90-yard drive? I was like, well, he had a 90, what, seven-yard, six-yard throw uh, to Amon Ross St. Brown against Arizona State the last (laughs) time they played in Tempe? So, yes. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it was very interesting. That game, USC jumps out this huge lead Slovis gets injured, suddenly the team doesn't do anything offensively and has to grind it out and you know Christian Rector, I think got a sack or an interception on the on the uh,
1: tip interception. Yeah,
3: at the very end to to lock it up when it was a hotly contested after jumping out it was like 28 6 uh, or 27. Yeah. Uh, special teams gave up a terrible play that in that first quarter. <laughs> as was the case normally.
2: Yes.
1: Now Augustine on Facebook wanted to know uh it's basically a simple question but could be oversimplified, he said. Is it is the main problem coaching or the players?
2: Sure. <laughs> um, I mean, like, the, there's not like main problem. Like, the, I mean, there there's major problems in the university itself, the athletic department, and it's not just like today. It's not like, well, they didn't practice all that hard on Monday because they took Tuesday off because of the the it, like like no, this is this is years in the making. Like, this is why was Pat Hayden such a terrible athletic director and the decisions he made? And then Lynn Swan, even worse after him and the decisions he made. And that's led you to the point where you fired three head coaches in a row in the middle of a season. Like, that's unprecedented. You never see something like that happen. This one, after two games, you're going to have a 10-game interim head coach, maybe a bowl game. There's going to be a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, like you, you have, if you put a... You put your best recruiter as the head coach. So Todd Orlando is his boss, and now it's flipped. And there's just so much crap that's been going on. Some of the players, too, I mean, they're probably not playing as well. They're not developing as well. But there's just, I think mostly the adults around this football program, not today, over the last several years, have failed them. There have been bad decisions made from the president all the way down through the athletic department. Clay Helton, the coaches he was hiring, the, the decisions that were all made on that stuff, how you recruited It's a huge thing that's just been going on for years. That's why you have to burn it to the ground and start fresh with a new head coach. So I'm not going to like nitpick and say, well, this player did this. Like, This has been a systematic problem for years because it's been so poorly run from the top to the bottom in the athletic department, even the president of the university, all that stuff. So bring in someone that's good at their job, hire a new head coach. He takes care of it, clears everything out, and starts fresh. And hopefully you can get things rolling in the next year or so. And I, I think that's what they'll do.
3: I think the answer is instead of players or coaching, as culture. I think that's culture, answering sure. all uh, – saying sure. all the things that you just said in a much more fluid way. But culture is the big issue for USC. And I think that's locker room. I think it's coaching staff. I think it's administration, athletic department, everything above it. And that's what you just talked about, the history and how that's led up to this. I think that's much more of an issue than being on a point and say. Yeah, the coaching's not great right now. Or hey, the players just aren't as good as they used to be. I think there's there's some issues there, but I think it all stems from something else. Yeah, mm.
1: we got a question from Trojan Trojan on YouTube who said, "Will Dante give the okay for Dart to run?"
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, it's like like I was saying with Shotgun, if he's not going to run, I'd rather just see Keaton Slovis play the whole time. Now I'm going to get. Accused of being a Slovis lover or whatever, but um, yeah, I mean that's something that he adds that USC doesn't have, and I get it if you're going to put him in the game and he can take off and do that and give you a spark. Uh, you know, if not, probably just keep your your three-year starter in there. So I don't know. I I kind of my gut is that he, you're going to see him run a little bit more this week, but I don't know what do you guys think.
3: What's interesting is that he he didn't take it off at all last week, but Dante Williams said at the Notre Dame game he warmed up and whatnot and was told that he's 80 to 85% He said, okay, we're not going to risk his long-term health. So would they have put him in last week if he wasn't healthy? I I don't know. It seems seems like they wouldn't, but the fact that he was told not to run. And maybe it's just he was told, hey, make sure you're getting down, make sure you're doing all these things, and he took it a little bit too far and was like, oh, I, I shouldn't run at all. And they gotta coach him up a little bit, like where's the you know the happy medium? In Run, there. Just
2: be smart about it. Or yeah. Whatever,
3: yeah. Uh, so maybe that's you know maybe it's a loss of communication. He did find out the night before that hey you're gonna go play tomorrow. Okay, but but don't let's let's be careful with the running.
2: I mean communication has not been great. <laughs> no. You know and that's more of the bad decisions that have been made from the adults. And like you guys are on the field. Like even when it's just Keaton Slovis playing, it just doesn't seem like. There's a lot of talk going on. Like he comes off the field and maybe it's an interception and he's just sort of by himself. Like there doesn't seem to be a lot. Now you have two guys. You really need them to be talking the whole time, to like figure hey, well, this is what I saw, this is what you saw. I don't think communication was good even when you were using one quarterback. So
3: you can't actually see, at least from the press box, and I don't think the cameras have ever actually shown them, but you know, they have the telephones. They have a big box. It's like a, you know, like a NASCAR Craftsman toolbox, it's huge, um, and, and they they go behind it and they have the telephone on there and they'll talk to the people on the booth. Uh, so I've seen some cornerbacks on the, the phone when Dante Williams was up in the booth. I've seen Isaac Taylor Stewart. You they also know, have,
1: like tablets and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, so you see something, and that's kind. Of, it's it's just kind of behind a. It's almost like a screen, basically, because of this giant box. So I don't know if you guys see that in the press box or if they show it on on the in the broadcast very often, but they do are communicating with people up in the booth about those type of things, but. The communication, you know, that's the the biggest thing is whether or not Dart should start eventually. Um, I think he needs to earn it. But if you start, if USC is not moving the ball well, uh, and you decide Dart needs to be the guy, I think one of the things is because the locker room will rally around him more than it will Keaton Slovis. Yeah, it's just obvious on the sideline when Dart does something, everyone's hyped up. When Keaton Slovis does something, it's kind of be expected. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just expectation versus freshmen. But you feel like there's, you know, just, you know, and I think that's going to end up creating a divide the longer they keep going with the two-quarterback system is that you're going to have the dark guys, you're going to have the slowest guys, and, you know, where does the team go from there? I mean, they're already at 500. I think they're going to stay at a 500 until they figure out, you know, just give one other guy or the other guy the job. Unless you're if you're going to use a dart package, and that would be the smartest way to do it, where he's running, where he's doing different – where there's different play calls when him in there. Yeah. That's the best way to use them. But if you're just going to put him in for series, if you're already willing to to give him some series, eventually you're just going to hand him over the job. Yeah. So you know you might as well just pull the Band-Aid off and go with it, and that's not going to help Slovis' draft stock. It's not going no. to do with his other things. It may not help the team. I don't think the team will be as good with, with Dart starting and get team's game planning for him versus Slovis, especially without Drake London. I don't think either the offense is going to struggle without Drake London. Yeah. But,
2: yeah. I mean, Dart threw two touchdown passes. Both were to London. Slovis's two were to to Gary Bryant, right? Like,
3: yeah, one of them was a <laughs> sixty yard bomb and the other <laughs> one was a, a you know a flag route to the corner. The other darts were both throw it to Drake London two yards at a field. Right, yeah. And and people will look at that stat line and go, oh, he threw two touchdowns, but you know, it's it's a little bit deceptive when you look at it just that way.
1: Mm-hmm. AKA Boone said who's more likely to wind up in the C F P Oregon or Cincinnati?
2: I mean, Oregon's four. Uh Cincinnati's not gonna lose, but I feel like if Cincinnati wins out and Oregon doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean Cincinnati is going to get in. I think there's a lot of ways Cincinnati cannot. So I would go Oregon at this point. But it's not going to be an easy for them. But they're not going to play anyone. Anyone that they play like in the championships game can going to have at least like four losses. So um, they're not going to get a huge boost. But I think they're going to be more likely to go because of that win over Ohio State than Cincinnati.
3: I'm going to take Cincinnati because I think they have a better chance of winning out.
2: They definitely do. Now, will that even get them in? Who right. Knows? That's, that's what I'm saying. But like, they can I, run out and not I'm going to
3: say that I think they are more set up to win out than Oregon is. Oregon just hasn't played well uh, several times this season, so I feel like someone's going to get them. And then that win in Ohio State doesn't matter anymore. Once you get two losses, it doesn't matter who you beat.
1: All right, let's get a couple more questions, and then we'll wrap this show up and get some predictions. Jordan Trojan said, Will Drake London still travel with the team for morale purposes? He's a team captain, a leader, and the heart of this team.
3: I would I would think he probably will. Yeah. They've done um, that
2: stuff like that in the past.
3: Yeah. yeah. But the, the one of the questions was I believe he would I believe I read somewhere that he was supposed to have surgery today. Hopefully everything went great for him. Mm-hmm. Uh we wish him the best of luck in his recovery.
2: But if that's the case, then it might be tough yeah, to go. Then
3: he may not good for travel this week, but maybe available to travel next week or something. like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Aaron said, What is the biggest problem with SC's offense? Turnovers, efficiency in the red zone question mark.
3: I would say that efficiency in the red zone. Because yeah, they move the ball well.
2: Yeah, it's a whole empty calorie thing, right? That's yeah. just a lot of yards, not a lot of points, so and they did put up punch five, it in.
3: Uh, they did put up 537 yards this game and 41 points, which is not terrible. So, right. But six points after the half. he scored on five – it had five touchdowns their first six drives. <laughs> you go, this is what it's supposed to look like against a bad team. Then the second half you go, what in the hell just happened to that team that played in the first half? And part yeah. of it is Drake London being injured.
1: Mm-hmm. We had a question from Coley White who said uh, – Keeley's an angels fan i am shotgun's team is the braves what about ryan my guess is the toledo mudhens winning (laughs) guess wins ice cream
2: (laughs) uh well i'm not a huge baseball dude anymore that's why i grew up playing like shotgun did but uh just kind of got out of it but i grew up in the pittsburgh era pittsburgh pirates so steelers pirates and penguins are like been my main teams but i've I've adopted the la teams like i you know i'll root for whoever's out here (laughs) I, i cheered for her angels and Back in the day. Ugh,
1: ugh, we don't need your cheers, Ryan. No. Uh, we also got a couple Braves questions, Chuck. And one, how did you celebrate the win? And two, T-Mac says, nice Braves jersey. When is your basketball preseason preview coming out?
3: When I can finish all the football content. <laughs> and part of the reason why I haven't gotten to everything is because the Braves were playing. There you go. And that trip to Houston last week uh, to go <laughs> to a World Series game. But uh, I celebrated by uh, drinking a little Peppy Van Winkle. Good stuff.
2: I saw a social media post. It was like, oh.
3: The this, this, this special occasion stuff. That's the stuff we occasion. were looking
2: for. We were looking for that in uh, Chicago. We couldn't find it. when We got back. F-
3: well, if you were buying pappy, we would have found it somewhere. Okay.
2: <laughs> we couldn't find any place open. <laughs>
1: Andrew says, uh, "Does SC have the firepower to outscore ASU?" Sure. Yeah, they got Keontae
3: Ingram. I, I mean, I don't think that ASU's uh, got tremendous firepower on the offensive side.
2: So I mean, they, I mean, both teams have talent and capability, but they both screw up a lot. So just like just screw up less than the other team, you'll probably be fine. <laughs>
1: John on Facebook wanted to know why is Ryan wearing a maroon shirt during ASU week?
2: I mean, I don't like
1: that. That requires Ryan thinking in advance, John. It's not happening. And Ryan just does not do that. But isn't this
2: like Cardinal? It's like this. Like it's like what it's, USC? It's maroon. It's more maroon. Ah, oh, sorry. I mean, I just bit. have a bunch of two, four, seven shirts. I got like pink ones. I got all kinds of like two colors. I like wearing. Them. I would think that's like Oklahoma colors,
3: but. Also, I'm colorblind, so
2: <laughs> that's <is> true.
1: <laughs> uh, we got a, a funny comment from Mark Watkins, who's back. Uh, he hadn't watched for a week or months, but he's back, and he said, Shotgun, when is the oil painting of Keenan Slovas coming out? <laughs>
3: Is this a wedding crasher style?
2: Just yeah. hanging over
3: the uh, the be- in the bedroom.
2: Welcome back, Mark. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to have you back. So Notre Dame, like that trip's really cold. And I bought like I bought some new two four seven gear like recently. And I was going to throw this. Oh, I got a new sweatshirt. I was going to throw it in. It is like completely green. <laughs> so I was like, I can't wear this crap. Like, so I did think of that one at least. <laughs> well yeah. done,
1: Ryan. Proud yeah. of you. righty, gentlemen. How do you think this one's going to go on Saturday? A seven thirty <sighs> kick, which is late, but I'm glad my shoes are not going to melt in the airs of the heat.
2: Sure.
3: Yeah, it's uh, more University of Arizona.
2: Late one. Sure. I feel like this is going to be like a uh I think I think Arizona State's probably going to win, but it's going to be close. He's been a lot of close ones in this one. I think it's like 31-28, something like that. Uh I'm not I'm going to take USC in the points in this one. It's like 8.5 oh, point spread. Yeah. Which I don't usually pick USC in a lot of these situations, but it, like Arizona State is really circling the drain too. Like both teams are in in rough shape right now. Which one is going to make the least mistakes? But I feel like it's it'll be somewhat close. 8 and a half points is just a lot in this one because, I mean, USC could come out and win by 14. I wouldn't be surprised. Or they go there and just Arizona State gets right and USC just looks awful and gets blown off blown off the field. But I feel it's going to be close, so give me the points, but I'll, I'll take Arizona in a close one. Arizona State in a close one.
3: Don't say that. They'll get mad at you. No. <laughs> um, Keely
2: said that earlier, too. I didn't go
3: I got no effing clue, to be honest. <laughs> I love that. I mean, really. <laughs> because the- there's so, like you said, there's so much going on outside of the X's and O's. If they it just fire just, their side, like their
2: sideline yeah, reporter. Weird. Um, but that but, doesn't impact the team. Well, really. just, it shows you like what's going on. Like, there's some weird crap going on. If that's what yeah. you're caring about. That we're going to fire our our former player who's talking about the game on the radio on the sideline. This is where we're going to put our effort in. Yeah, like,
3: sure. It, but it you would you essentially said, be the equivalent of USC firing Max Brown or, or Sua Cravens, from, right.
2: from the stuff they do.
1: You said Stanford was butt, and how did that score end up?
2: They're... Yeah, but they're Stanford's three and five.
1: But what I'm saying like is, it doesn't matter butt. what the team is coming into the game against USC. It's like a weird bubble once they play USC. It doesn't matter.
3: at
2: home, like USC's been better on the road. But
3: but Stanford yeah. Stanford is, but as a team, as far as X's and O's, the outside stuff that's what they can control and what they David Shaw's yes. always been good at. So I think that's the difference in that that analogy right there or comparison. I don't know what to expect, and I'm really curious to see what they try to do on offense. What can be successful? Can they get Keontae Ingram going? I think just, I would take Arizona State because I don't know if USC can create turnovers. That's when they've really struggled. They've turned the ball over a ton, and I don't know that USC is is going to be able to do that, and with them being much more one-dimensional without Drake London, unless someone steps up, and that's all that's. A possibility. I mean, Kyle Ford was a five-star guy. Yeah, you know, the, a ton of the other receivers are four-star guys. Taj Washington can be electric with the ball in his hands. Gary Bryant can get behind defenses. But are they going to do any of those things?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I think you're. I mean, the thing is, there's all that weird stuff that could happen. But Shotgun's right. Like this offense could USC's offense could come out and fall flat on its face. Like without Drake London for a whole game, it could just be like, oh my god, this is putrid. Like right there. I I think there's a real chance that that's not but there's a there's a chance that it is where it's just like man it's not working they can't run the ball no one else is stepping up so yeah if you're going to take Arizona State you're thinking like yeah they're just not going to do anything without Drake London
3: and we, if they can if Arizona State can slow the running game down it puts even more pressure on the quarterbacks mm-hmm. and are these quarterbacks playing loose and free right now no yep. not in a two quarterback system where you're trying to beat out the other guy the the, the whole time so you know, if especially if they can't get the run going early, could be a really long night
2: for USC. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think Ingram for USC to win or be close, Ingram has to have a big game.
3: Mm-hmm. And someone pointed out that Arizona is giving up a uh, hundred thirty six hundred thirty eight yards per game. Okay, some of those teams have you know multiple weapons, and USC, you know, right now they have one proven weapon.
1: Yeah, I think I'm actually going to go with the ASU win. Because shotgun convinced me into it. I just, right. I think without Drake London, I just don't know what to expect, from, to, what to expect from this offense. And then Jane Daniels plus a running attack. I don't know. I do not know what to expect from this team. So this is
3: why I always try to make Keeley go first in anything. Yes.
1: Okay, I would have said that if you didn't go. I was trying to give you credit for making good mm-hmm, points. Sure. <laughs> I put a poll in the comments. Will USC win on Saturday? 41 votes are in. 39% said yes. 61% said no. So that's what the commenters are feeling. Oh,
3: man, right. Y'all are it's feeling fun. like Atlanta sports fans. I like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> just feel like
2: something's going to fall apart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, they've watched the season. All righty. Any <laughs> final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this one up?
2: We're heading to Tempe tomorrow. But should yes. we go to the game? or just go to Mill Ave and like have some drinks. Like whatever. All no, right. We're, we're gonna go to the game, and uh, I'm gonna stay with a buddy, do some golfing. It's gonna be you know we've got a lot. It's a late day. <laughs> I didn't
1: ask for your itinerary, Ryan. i was not just saying. Final thoughts. This
2: is uh, yeah. So my final thoughts are we're gonna go to Tepe tomorrow. <laughs> okay. And, like, nice. Really not know what to expect. Like honestly, we're gonna go into this game. and be like, I don't know. Like one team could look terrible. Both teams could look terrible. One team could look. They could both look great. I, I just don't know. Um, it's, it's the Pac-12. It's just like you go from week to week, and you're like, these results don't make sense because I've seen these teams play before. And this, how did this happen? Or where, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, so I'm really curious to see what happens in this one. Late game, always weird stuff happens in this one. So uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Nice. Shoddy. Uh, my
3: final thought is uh, I talked to Elijah Winston yesterday. He's one of my favorite people to talk to, just a very thoughtful young man. So if you get a chance to check that out on YouTube, uh, You know, check out that interview there. But he, he's great and great to see him back after he had a broken ankle last year that cost him his entire season, had some turf toe issues before that. You know, He was playing in 2019 with the previous staff, and then it's been basically you know a year and a half, two years since he's really been on the field, got his opportunity last week. So looking forward to seeing what he can do the rest of the year.
1: All right. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. We'll be back on Sunday to break down what we saw in Tempe on Saturday, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Bye.
3: Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. (laughs) Like and subscribe.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or –